time for it, even though we ain't going to have no intermission. Let's pray. Lord, um, it's, a, it's a pleasure to be on mission with you. It's a pleasure to be known by you. It's a pleasure to have our names written in the Lamb's book of life. Lord, it's a pleasure um, to be, to know without a shadow of a doubt that um, we're in your will. Lord God, it, it, is, um, it is a pleasure beyond doubt, Lord God, beyond comprehension, Lord God, to know that um, every good and perfect gift comes from above. Lord God, we pray for our offering that we may be um, stewards over it, good stewards, um, and that we would be held um, heavily accountable for our use of your resources. Let the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh God, my, rest- my strength and my redeemer in whom we trust. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. All right, y'all. Well, welcome, welcome to our second annual um, State of the Church Address. Um, our second annual State of the Church Address. Um, the State of the Church Address is really a time um, for the elders to kind of, every year, kind of give a state of affairs, um, state of the world, state of the culture, um, where we are as a church and where we are going. Um, because many of you all kind of jumped on board post what we call a core group. We had a core group um, before we launched, and those were the p- groups of people that helped Epiphany go public. So it was about 40 to 60 people who kind of said, look, we want to covenant with you, covenant our lives and say, we're going to help this thing go public. And so they've helped us go public. Post that, we've exonerated that group of people. And, but during that period of time, we have said, yo, we want to make sure that the same nutrition, the same biblical ideals, the same philosophy of ministry is poured in layers to the people that God brings um, to Epiphany Fellowship. So many of you um, have got that poured into you by being around other believers that kind of heard it through spurts. But one of the things that we want to do as leaders is kind of herald those things over. And so those, that core group became what we call covenant membership or covenant community. Um, where they said this is not, we just didn't want to just help launch the church, but we wanted to be those who helped uh, be on, not just help, but make this a place of uh, temporary residence until Jesus comes gets us or God does something different where we're going we're gonna to chop it up here and say we want to be on mission with Christ here. And so that's where we are now. And so we're on our third group of covenant community participants. We've done, we've done, we've done our, our, our first group. How many of y'all were part of the first group? Put your hands in the air. Okay, how many of y'all are in the second group? Okay, how many of y'all are in the third group? Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, so we have those, those, those layers of groups. So, and, but then some of you all are, are regular attenders and that type of thing. So State of the Church wants to know, what's God, what, what, what do we feel like God, based on his word, is, 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 is saying in season? Where do we feel like the culture is and where do we feel like Epiphany Fellowship um, how are we going to continue to incarnate the reality of the Lord Jesus Christ um, during this period of time? And so we're going to go ahead and, by God's grace, dive on in um, to um, our State of the Church address. Oh, yep, there it is. 
Um, one of the things that we want to do is we want to dive in by setting a foundation, setting a foundation. Uh, we're in a time where everyone is trying to do church uh, in some kind of way to make people like church, uh, make people like God. I guess the idea is if we can make people like church, we'll make them like God. And uh, we don't, we're not under that persuasion. We're under the persuasion that uh, that the Spirit of God has to make Jesus Christ appealing to a soul. And then once he does that, then that person sits at the feet of Jesus. And like Jesus told his disciples, go and make Jesus Christ disciples, people who obey all that I commanded. Well, at the core, one of the things that he commanded was that they be a part of him. And so uh, the church. And so one of the things that we want to do is... Uh, one of the things you want to do is you want to start with a fa- uh, forgotten foundation. Either you forgot or maybe you didn't, you never got this before. So in my crib, I, I, I have an old, uh, old house, and one of the things that we ran into early was the fact that it was old. Now, we like the durability of it. We like the character of it, but we don't like the wiring of it. They told me I had some of the oldest kind of wiring you could have, and no ground, and no this, no that. I had to switch out just to get three prongs so I can plug my laptop in. They had to give me three prong. Uh, outlets and uh, all kinds of things. I wanted, you know, central air. I spent four years in Dallas uh, where everybody has central air conditioning, central heat. So I like that easygoing, cool, always around, that, 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 that steady temperature. Then I came back to Philly and realized every summer I got to drag out like six air conditioners, <laughs> lug them in, put them in, fill in the gaps and the cracks and all of that. So I missed that. But, you know, what it would take for me to make central air conditioning is so cold costly that I just do that every year. What it would take for me to get central heat would be costly, so I just let it go. Uh, What it would take for me to get all new wiring would be too much, so I just let it go. Now, I still make it. So you can make it with the old system, but if I was building a new house, I would have the new kind of wiring in it. If I was building a new house, I would have central air conditioning and heating. Uh, Are you all with me? Well, the same thing. A lot of churches would like to do things differently, but for them, they consider it too costly. If they wanted to switch their mindsets, they lose a bulk of the people that give the money. So even if the mindset is biblical, like let's switch to a biblical mindset, sometimes it's too costly. So we just go on with unbiblical mindsets. Uh, if it's really like the culture demands an upgrade in our thinking, uh, that would be nice, but we, it may be too costly. So they don't upgrade in their thinking. Eventually shut the doors and realize it probably was less costly to just upgrade your thinking. So uh, for one of the things that we want to do is say that and when we talk about the state of the church affairs here at Epiphany, because we are a plant, we're able to at our foundation build with some things in our foundation. And one of those things is being missional or on mission with God, not just attractional. Uh, most churches, uh, before we, like before some things started happening on the church scene, were what we call attractional churches. They tried to put on the greatest show on earth on Sunday and cater to all the needs of whoever would come. So it was a come. You got to come to our church. You, you got to hear my pastor preach. You got to come to our church. You got to hear our choir. You got to come to our church. We're taking the kids on a trip. It was an attractional piece where not many people were going out with the gospel. It just was people were saying, come if you want to hear the gospel. 
Well, to, the Bible is an advocate of what we call being on mission. So we get it. Our classic text is John 17, 18, where mm-hmm. Jesus says, like the father sent me. I'm sending them into the world. We are sent. Uh, just in the Gospel of John alone, I did a little search. The word sent me, if you put those together, sent me, Jesus talking over 31 times or at least 31 times. You see Jesus referring to himself as sent. It's this idea that no matter where I go, I don't just say I just happen to be here or I like this place. I say the Father sent me here. Jesus, he rigged his life to go to places that he felt sent to. That changes everything. So when you're tired and you're hot, you don't get mad at it. You say, tag, this comes with being sent. When you come to earth, you don't say, which place is the greenest? Which place has the best irrigation system? He was sent to where God sent them. It said, hmm, so this is where he sent me, huh? Hmm, no water here. Well, I guess he's going to provide. Uh, and that's the idea when you're sent. So a missional church doesn't start with the question, what do we like and how do we like it? We say, where has God sent me? Where has God sent us? Uh, and so we, we, now check this out. The next thing would be incarnation. I'm sorry about the small and, the, and all the print. The second thing, not just a missional church, but an incarnational church. Listen to this, uh, uh, this statement from a book called, um, Things to Come. For us, the incarnation, that's Jesus, God, who didn't have a body at one time, taking on a human nature. Right. The incarnation is absolutely a fundamental doctrine, not just as an irreducible part of the Christian confession. It's not just we know that all Christians should say this, he says. But for us, it also is a theological prism through which we view our entire missional task. He says. So when we talk of incarnational mission, we hope to, in some real way, directly draw inspiration and motivation from that unique act whereby God entered into our world and into the human condition in the person of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. So at our foundation, we don't just want to be people who go to church. We don't want to just people who sort of like come in and then go out. We want to what we call incarnate, taking our cues from Jesus. Jesus could have just sent prophets while he stayed in heaven and just gave us the gospel. God could have just impregnated people on the inside through the spirit of God with the gospel so that they could believe while he stayed in heaven. But what he did was he came down in the form of a man, which means he now had to adopt what went along with being incarnate. So we say, Jesus Christ would say, I thirst or I tire. He's the living water. What are you doing thirsting? Well, I was sent to incarnate. So the idea is when you incarnate, you take what comes with the territory and you identify with it and you make that your condition as well. So the church, not only is missional, we're sent. The church incarnates or adopts the environment as their own, right? Next. Being local, even though we're also regional. Sometimes people will force you to, like, well, if you're going to reach this area, and they'll make you be a community church or a parish model, meaning we should just be focusing on the people that are right in eyeshot. But because of mass transportation and a number of things that affect our world, Often churches will be regional. People won't just like, yo, you know that we're a church? Yeah, but my church is, you know what I'm saying, 15 blocks away. Why would you go to a church 15 blocks away? It's just 15 blocks away. See, like in the, new, in, the in the Bible days, 
You couldn't just go to any old church. Like, I'm just going to go to the church that's 100 miles away. You know what I'm saying? You couldn't do that. Today, you can do that. People drive up from Maryland, and, and people drive up from uh, all kinds of uh, Delaware. And they're like, yo, man, it's just a, I just get on 95, and I'm here. It's just like, what, 25 minutes? Like, you couldn't do that in the old days. So there's a sense in which we become a regional church, Right? But at the same time, the truth of the matter is churches must also be local. Uh, local implies place, a particular identifiable place. The basic unit of Christian community is formed and, li- uh, excuse me, and lives out its witness in a particular place where its members can gather regularly for worship and work. Proximity, frequency of uh, direct contact with one another, mutually supportive relationships, sharing of resources, struggling and growing together in the faith. Uh, These characteristics, I feel like I'm reading a teleprompter, (laughs) of a Christian community defines its its shape. It's too small. Defines its shape. The people of God must have a visible, tangible, experiential shape. Uh, This is not, however, simply a sociological and organizational necessity. It is essential to the Missio Dei. Let me break all of that lofty language down. You can, like, a lot of people will say, you ain't got to go to church. We are the church. You ain't got to go to church. I could go to church on my, like, at, at home looking through at the TV. The reality that God sets people apart, clusters them together, gives them a common plight and a common passion. That's, everybody is like that. Everybody rallies with people. They have a, the same plight. You poor too? Yeah, I'm poor too. Yeah, man, I'm telling you, what are we going to do about it? You know what I'm saying? That's all of us, right? And a common passion. You like that? Yeah, I like that. You like that? Yeah, I like that. Yo, let me see yours. Yo, let me see yours. And that, that's what we really gather around. Plights and passions. They say one of the things that helped blacks and whites integrate is they went to war together. And so now I don't trust him. Oh, my God. Thanks. You got me. I got you too, dog. You know what I'm saying? They started shooting on each other and protecting each other. Well, the same thing. No church would be a church and have a collective impact if we didn't like the same things and we didn't feel the same pains. We can't do it. So if we all are just individuals busting in from our real friends and our real family and, our, and we just come and we just like some messages... We won't be a church, not in the New Testament sense. Absolutely. We have to adopt the same. Don't you hate the fact that there's inequality here? Don't you hate the fact that all the dudes with do-rags around here just curse and drink beer and none of them are saved, sort of like our pastors? And don't you, like, whatever your whole thing is, I don't like. And, but don't you like the fact that so-and-so is the, you know, didn't you like the way the band was, didn't you? Like, we need common likes and we need common hates. So you have to be local. And so the idea is a church is missional. Even though it is attractional, we hope that people do hear about the band and come. We hope that they do like the teaching and come from afar. But the church is also incarnational. We don't just drop a fishing rod and send some tracks and then, like, hope you got the message. We come inside and we identify and we roam the streets and we look like we're apart. But also we're local. We gather particularly in a particular place. Lastly, being theologically, missionally, and personally committed to the city. Now, because we're also regional, that means people come from the comforts of often the suburbs or any like anybody that's Christian knows that the city sometimes is a little more upfront with its sin. Part of the reason is because everybody who has some sense, not everybody, but a lot of people who had sense enough to not like crime left it and went out to the suburbs. 
Well, that just left everybody who uh, in the city who is just wilding, right? Yeah. And so then there's all kinds of systemic issues while the city is the way it is. There's all kinds of uh, uh, inequalities that make it what it is. But at the end of the day, it's the absence of salt and light that makes a place what it is, right? Jesus says, okay, let me infuse my people. So one of the things you see in the Bible is sometimes if a person doesn't just want to go, the Lord will rig a scenario that will force them to go. And where they go, they will actually set up shop on behalf of the king and actually introduce to that place, which wouldn't have had it any other way, the way of God. So when the Jews were naughty, God would send them out of their land into other lands. And when they got there, they would make a microcosmic way of, like, the way of God there. So this, this place would be like, yo, we got turned on to their God, which we wouldn't have if they weren't forced to come and settle and live here. Well, the same thing. Cities are the way they are because often believers are so come and go in the city and they don't settle, they don't come, they don't live, they don't take their jobs here. If they do, they take the job, come out the back door, go underground to the garage, and then hightail it onto the freeway. Well, one of the things that we believe as a inner city church, North Philly, when we were looking at churches, where are we going to start? We chose a inner city. We chose a grungy section because we were wondering if that trend should continue in light of how God feels about cities and his plan. That's why I said theologically. It's not pragmatically because if it was pragmatically, we would have looked at real estate and said, hmm, where's the best place to go? Sometimes that's in some blossoming, you know, suburb out there where they're building condominiums and a Walmart and, you know, a Target. Well, now people are coming back to the city, so we could say, yo, you know they're targeting Philly, and so in about 10 years, the city is going to be, because they're up in the value on the property. Yeah, let's do it in North Philly, yeah, and we could adapt each other up for pragmatically coming here. But theologically, we said, does God want, like, what benefit is there to being in a city? And so we started looking at God sending people to cities, God using the urban center as the way he did things in bulk. And then people left there and went out and spread abroad. Missiologically, we said the same thing. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me just say this quote. I'm almost finished my segment. And then Pastor Eagle get this. Being the, uh, look, while it's true that all Christians should, live, should not live in the city because Christians should live everywhere that people live, and all of you who don't live in the city and don't really like the city are saying, amen, that's what I'm saying. Don't try to make me live in the city. I've been in the city all my life. I just got my house, too. You ain't going to make me come back to the city. So you don't have to. This is not law. It's also true that evangelical Christians, uh, that's Bible-centered, Jesus Christ, gospel-oriented Christians, have historically been unwilling to live in the cities, most of the times because of their desire for holiness and escape uh, from the troubles. Um, uh, but it has been argued that evangelicals should live in cities in at least the same percentage as the general population does, or we should not expect to see society influenced by us. Mm-hmm. Don't come whisking in and tell them, yo, you need Jesus. See ya. They won't be influenced that way. Oh, oh, this is this is in the wrong spot. So let me just recap. Um, Foundationally, at Epiphany, because we are starting from the ground, we could build this into our DNA. As you come, these are four inescapable principles that we want you to consider as being part of the root reason why you stay here if you stay here. 
Now you can take, you can, you can choose any route you want. But one of the things that we're asking is for you to understand we're a missional church. We're going to encourage people to take the gospel on the road. When you go, no matter where you go, bring the essence of this kind of stuff you usually just come to get. We want you to give that as you go. Two, we want you to think incarnationally. We don't want you to just, we want you to think about a context. Are you needed? And if you are needed, can you make the condition? Your condition. Mm. So I want the cities to be different. Live in the city. Do not just commute to the city. Like, consider that as something that is a, a model that Jesus himself gave us. Not only that, local. Don't just, it, you can be regional. You can just come in and continue. But you've got to be a part of a local scene in order to really say that I'm embodying a true biblical model of what it means to be church. Because in the church, they didn't have the prerogative we have to drive an hour and a half and then go back to stuff that has nothing to do with what you drove an hour and a half for for two hours. God wants our lives, like the people of God form community. That's why he put them in, in bondage together. You can't go nowhere. That's why he, like, like we got to read our Bibles a little more carefully. And then lastly, a commitment to the city. We are an inner city ministry on purpose. It's not just because this is where you start. You get so big, you have to go out to the suburbs because that's where the real land is. We're trying to, like many churches, commit to the city for a theological reason, mm-hmm. for a missiological reason, because God has sent us uh, into these places because of how strategic they are, and for personal reasons. Paul said this, in my, and I close with this part. Paul said, man, uh, in Romans chapter 9, he said, I just, I want, I just, I just wish my brothers according to the flesh were saved. He said, I, like, like, not, like, I just wish people who look like me, who talk like me, were saved. Like, he said, I'd rather, I wish I could give them my salvation and take their condemnation. Sometimes it's just personal. The city looks like me, but they don't act like me because they don't know the Jesus I know who changed me. I just want to see it for a personal reason. And so if that's you, that's, these are foundations that will precede everything else that we do. That, we can come back to that. That's mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. And so in, in light of what Pastor Deuce has kind of laid out, he laid out for us kind of like our philosophy of ministry. You know, there is, there, every church should be preaching the scriptures. However, um, there, there should be a philosophy that comes out of how you practice the scriptures. And so one of the, those, are, those are some of our values, which we'll talk a little bit about our core values in a minute. But we, we, we want to dive into this as we go into a bunch of verses. So you got to have what your Bible. Some of them are going to be up, some of them not. So don't, don't think, we, you know, you had epiphany, so you know you're going to open the Bible. So have your Bible. If you don't have one, there's some on the back table. The great neglect. The great neglect. The urban context. Um, you know, Harvey Kahn in his book, The American City and the Evangelical Church, is probably one of the most profound books, even though it's out of print now, of its time. Um, and even in a secular book called The Urban History of America, it talks about, uh, about by, by Cal, uh, Cal, Cal Caldwell. 
One of, one of, one of the things that, that, that they talk about in those books is the fact that what, they talk about the history and development of the city as a place of industry, as a place of commerce, as a place of regional influence for regions. But then during, the, during of course, uh, the latter part of the Depression, all the way through the 60s to the 70s, there was a flight from the cities. And so now there's a flight back to the cities. But the cities have been a great place of neglect. And because of that great neglect, um, we, have to, we have to begin to ask ourselves biblically, what does the Bible have to say about contextual neglect? In other words, when a, when a particular people group, which is sin, is neglected, that, like, like that's sin, to neglect them. Um, because of our preconceived notions and our passions for comfort. And so the great neglect. And so we see in, um, in actually Acts chapter 13, verse 43, it says, And after, um, after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts uh, to Judaism uh, followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, Urge them to continue in the grace of God. And so this is banging. It's in a city where they have basically handed ministry over to a particular group of people, and he urged them to continue in the grace of God. That's the gospel. In other words, continuing in the grace of God is not just some esoteric, I'm blessed and highly favored statement. Like, that, that's not that. How you doing? Blessed and highly favored. That's not what we're talking about. That's just, that's just some... Speak it out of your mouth terminology that has nothing to do with the Bible. We're talking about the gospel. When they left them, they left them with the gospel. And they say, listen, like we talked about a few weeks ago, that same gospel that saved you, the spirit utilizes it to keep you. And so when they said they urged them, in other words, don't falter on the gospel. That's why we're in Galatians right now, because they faltered on the gospel and they are not continuing in the grace of God. Where is he talking to these people? He's talking to people in a particular city. And so now we need to be developing communities of communities who are beginning to walk in the beauty and power of the grace of God. It's funny how... In Proverbs, a lot of people go to verses 10 through the rest of the chapter, but they don't look at verses 1 through 9. <laughs> in, in Proverbs, it says, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of those who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Now, somebody say, uh-oh, your, your little flag, your little evangelical flag just went up. Know why? That's a social gospel. Well, no, that's not the social gospel. It's the comprehensive understanding of the implications of the gospel. Because if you read Titus chapter 3, it's impossible to see the gospel, the gospel, see the gospel in one dimension. The gospel is supposed to impact every single area of our lives. And so what the church is supposed to be, reading Christ back in the Proverbs, which we're supposed to do, the church, which we talked about when we were going through Proverbs, that um, we, in Proverbs is presented as those who are a part of the community of the wise. Those who are part of God's covenant, redemptive community are supposed to begin to incarnate the reality of God's truth in particular contexts and engage and love on and develop the forgotten. Now, do that mean we only minister to the poor? No. No. However, we should not do what, what, what we see over here in Galatians 2.10. It says, only then, 
<clears throat> this is after they gave Paul the right hand of fellowship. It says, they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Check it out. After Paul gave them his gospel presentation as he was giving it to the Gentiles, they gave them the right hand of fellowship, and then they say, don't forget about the f- poor. Don't, don't front on the poor. And then Paul says, listen, this was the thing like, we was like, man, thanks for the reminder, but we were going to do that anyway. Like, in other words, the gospel demands that the unreached are reached. The, the, the gospel demands that, the, that, and we know that these are not just urban issues, how, however, the urban areas are hyperbole or an exaggeration of what smaller regions look like because it's concentrated. And so it's very important that a part of our philosophy of ministry as a church is not to forget the forgotten. That's why one of the things that we're looking to do is be a church planting church that plants in cities. And so we're not just going to plant in places. Man, if we plant over there, we'll get enough money. Like that's, like, like that's not a redemptive biblical reason to plant. And so what we want to do is we want to be a church planting church that focuses on neglected regions. So Hebrews 13, 3, it says, why do they have to say this? Remember those who are in prison. Like, in other words, believe, like the Bible continues to tell us to remember stuff that, they, that it knows that we will normally forget. And so we have to be reminded, don't front on the people who can't do anything for you. And so being a church, being Epiphany Fellowship, one of the things we want to let people know is we're not trying to be a cool international church where everybody invites us out to do everything and write books and and go from place to place getting fat honorariums. That's not what we're trying to do. But we want to see the reality of the fundamental ground floor realities of what Christ commands and what people mostly forget. Like, we're not just like, man, this is a great market. Like, nobody's in this market right now. And if we can get into this market, we can, like, no. This is spiritual and contextual and missiological suicide. (laughs) Like, nobody chooses to go to the place that's neglected because most people choose not to go to the place where people are neglected. And so God is calling us in the state of the urban context. The urban context is highly neglected. And so what we want to do is, like, even the regentrification that's happening in this area that, that we have to think about, is we have to think about the fact that regentrification is just going to shuffle people who may not know Jesus to another area, them still not be redeemed. They create the same issues they carry with them. Every, all of us carry our issues everywhere we go. Like, I got to get away from everything. But the issue is you're going to be there. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, 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 and so the issue is every, every one of us have a past that has socialized us based on the fall and has made us into something not in the image of Jesus. And so in light of that reality, we carry our flesh with us. And because of that, we need the gospel so that when pe- if people are shuffled by, by God's providential grace, if people move, if people develop, they are laced with the nutrition of the kingdom. But the goal is not to just see them suffer, but comprehensively develop. So still true statements. Pastor Deuce and I were looking at some things. So what's still true? Like, we're not cha- like we want to let people know we're not ch- changing the fundamental teachings of Scripture. That's not what we're doing. We're, we're focusing on them and willing to, to, to lay out and live out their practical implications. And so what's still true? What's still true? True statements. The church is God's means of self-representation. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 3.
Ephesians chapter 3. I can't wait till we go through Ephesians line by line. Oh, my God. I can't wait. All right. Verse. Let's start with verse 9. Let's start with verse 7. It says, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. Wow. The power is the gospel. Romans 1.16. To me, though I am the least of all the saints, this grace, he keeps saying grace, 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 gospel, gospel, gospel. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, through the who? Through the who? Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Next time you want to know what your purpose is, read this verse. Your purpose is to gather with, like, I, I want to know whether I should be a doctor, whether I should be a lawyer, whether I should go over here, whether I should be No, this is your purpose. This is an eternal purpose, an unchanging, unrelenting purpose of God that you gather with a crew of people who expedite the manifold wisdom of God together in context, together, so that people, so that the demons, the Bible says, may hear the gospel even though they won't get saved. Because he says the rulers, he's talking about in Ephesians, physical and spiritual rulers, hear the manifold wisdom of God through lesser beings in what they relented on in their fall from heaven. So the church, we're in apologetic to remind the enemy that he, he flunked and that we, by the power of Christ, are going to be lesser beings who are more dependent on God than he was, even though he's a higher being. And so, 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 so the church, one of the things that we want to make sure that we understand is that the church is God's agency by which he is blessing the world. God is not using anyone or anything else through Christ to bless the world. So that's still true. The gospel is the means to keep the representation authentic. The gospel is the means to keep the representation authentic. Turn over to the next book, Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. It says, we always thank our God, thank God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. When we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard uh, before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as, in, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. So the gospel it like it's not just churches gathering and just doing their own thing, but the centrality of the death, burial, and Jesus Christ 
being the mechanism by which we bear fruit. What does bearing fruit mean? In other words, if you say you're a part of this tree, you need to be able to have fruit that identifies you with it. You can't say you're an apple tree and you're bearing oranges. You can't say you're a pear tree, but, 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 but you want to be a grapevine. In other words, he says the gospel is what God through the spirit utilizes through the name of Christ to make us identifiable to him and to the world. And so he says it's been bearing fruit from the beginning. So what's important, Epiphany Fellowship, what's important, a people of God, is that the work of the gospel based on John 15 continues showing itself up in our midst based on how God keeps score. See, the issue with many churches and, and, and many of us as individuals is we don't keep score like God keeps score. But we need to begin to keep score based on his scoreboard and know what a foul is, know what an out of bounds is, and know what unnecessary roughness is. Because, because the church, we need to begin celebrating successes that God would celebrate. And so that's why we say these things are still true. So we're not trying to, like when people hear missional and they hear um, uh, um, doing ministry among the poor, they think you like abandoning the faith. Maranatha, Lord Jesus, come quickly, lest we do something that's foolish. So state of the, ch- state of the urban church renewal. Um, go, yeah, let me, jump in, let jump, me in, jump in. Write this down if, you, um, if you're interested. Um, st- another still true statement, First <laughs> Peter 5 um, And I'm going to say um, uh, six through nine, just to give you some context, but focusing in on uh, verse eight. But uh, first Peter uh, five, six, still true. Once again, still true that the church is the is the uh, the primary agency, Um, you know, still true, uh, but also still true uh, that the devil is an enemy. And he's not passive, yeah. nor does he sit back mm. and wait. Like, you know, some animals have like one of those, they have like a little something that lures you their way. Like they don't get around. They just sort of have like a little string hanging or, you know, some little funny appendage that the creator gave them. Um, and, uh, and as soon as you get too close, they're able to gobble you up. That's not the kind of enemy that the devil is. Um, he's a roaring lion, and he's moving around, and he's seeking opportunities. Uh, so Peter says here, uh, starting verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Yeah. Be sober-minded, be watchful, your enemy or adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. One of the the reasons why I want to add that is because some people think the moment they start obeying God, things get easier. Uh, the moment, like, yo, you're right. Maybe that's the reason why. And then you're going to try this out. You know, you're going to try to make some shifts. You're going to try to make some theological yeah. shifts and some, you know, you're going to move and you're going to try to, you know. And that's when all hell seems like it's going to break loose. And you will then come face to face with the reality that it's still true that the devil targets those whose desire it is to be faithful 
uh, responders to divine revelation or to God's truth. And so a lot of people in our midst are finding that this is true, that life has presented even more challenges once we did this. And we sort of think uh, that it won't be that way. But still true, the devil resists and the devil opposes any attempt to walk accurately and to walk faithfully uh, in concert with the Lord Jesus. So that's everything from uh, the, like, the, the, the least of the churchgoers in here. Um, you know, you may be experiencing some troubles in here. You may not, you, you know, you and the Lord are not on point. You may not be saved. And life is just rough out there. That's a true statement. But then as Christ begins to work in your lives, some of the things that we leave ourselves open for, like me, I, I, you know, I would think that I'm, I'm not in risk of lung cancer since I haven't smoked in many, 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 many moons. Uh, and the last time I went to the doctor, he said my lungs were cool. Um, somebody who smokes, you know, and just puffing, 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 you're in a greater risk of lung cancer, right? Well, same thing. It's like as you begin to walk in a, in a way that's pleasing to the Lord, what you find is you actually reduce the risk of some of the things that just come with sin, right? But you think that you could play your cards so right that you're like nothing will ever touch you. And then you'll find that in your faithfulness, things will happen, sometimes because God just is looking for a way to sanctify you, and so he brings things. But in other reasons, because the devil likes to target people who strive to be on point. So, still true. Um, even if you decide to, um, to surrender to what God is doing, you may find that the intensity of the battle may even increase because there's an enemy who's seeking. Don't sleep on him. Absolutely. 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 In, in light of that reality, we see something of a trend, of so to speak. We're seeing urban renewal without urban redemption. Urban renewal without urban redemption. How does Jesus, let's ask Jesus, Jesus, how do you feel about external things changing but internal things not changing? Turn over to Matthew chapter 23. Now, whenever in the Bible you see a three-letter word, W-O-E, like, hope you're not on the other end of that who he's talking to. True. Telling you. Like, these are, not, like, these are, these are next level. Like, this is not, you know, he, not, this is not truly, truly. When he, when he say, verily, verily, like the king, like this, whoa. Like, and he's not on a roller coaster. All right? Check out what he say in verse 25, chapter 23. It says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. What, the, the, the Greek word, real quick, for hypocrite here is a word that means a mime or a mimic. In, a, in other words, an actor, a person who plays a role but isn't actually the person who they're playing out. It says, For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence, you blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs. A tomb is a tomb, which outwardly appears beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and, are, and all uncleanliness. So 
You also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. See, Jesus doesn't like urban renewal without urban redemption. Because people can get new jobs, you can erect new buildings, you can turn the Divine Lorraine downtown right in front of, you know, on, on Broad and Fairmont, you can turn that into, you know, condominiums and have urban hipsters on bicycles and, 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 and hip hoppers are starting clothing line shops and all that kind of carrying on. I can tell you what, Jesus is not pre pleased with the aesthetic changing and the heart not changing. And so in the midst of this urban renewal, we got to herald the gospel, fam. We got to herald it and say, look, I know y'all are making physical changes, but where is your soul? And so when we talk about the state of the urban concepts, you have Harlem going through urban renewal. You have um, 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 Boston um, uh, have gone through major urban renewal. You have different boroughs in New York. You have D.C. where I'm from went through I mean, it's not even the same place anymore. You have all of these places going through urban renewal, but the question that the believer must ask, man, this sure look nice down here. I remember when we used to go to, like, like you, there needs to be, like, that's okay, but there needs to be some rumblings of the soul. Like, like there needs to be some, you need to be perplexed. Like Paul, when he went um, uh, to Mars Hill and he looked around and it says his spirit was vexed. Like me and Pastor Deuce took another, another way here this morning, and we, I said, I just want us to pray, man, and let's just pray for the city, pray for our people, and let's just, let's just take the long way to, uh, to the gathering facility. And we just prayed, and we just looked around and saw empty buildings and for sale signs, and we, 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 we didn't just see opportunities for people to move in and have stuff, but we were like, God, oh God, will you bring church plants here? Will you bring redemption? Will you, believe, will you bring people here who can think prophetically about what it can look like if Jesus gets to this. Like we have to, so, so Jesus is not cool with gear changes. Like he's not impressed with cats on the award show changing clothes every time they come out. Like that don't mean nothing. But the question is, have you put off the old man and put on the new man? That's the question he's going to ask. But before you put off and put on, you got to trust Jesus. And so, again, like this is what, when we talk about this, like we don't want this to just be a cool place, a cool city to hang out in, but a place where we say we want to roll up our sleeves and follow Jesus' example through urban mission. Signs of the grace of God. How do you know, like, how do you know? We're going to go through the Old Testament and New Testament. We're going to do real quick a biblical theology of signs of grace. <laughs> We won't go over all these verses, but it is amazing if you just put in hand in certain joints, in certain, or you put in grace or with them and what you come up with. Turn over to Ezra 7, 6. Y'all still with us? Now, in the book of Ezra, this is going to be when the believers are coming. Go to Psalms and just go back a few books. Go, go backwards. <laughs> when you get there, say amen. I want you to read this with us. We're going to look at some verses on this, on this piece. Look at uh, chapter 7, verse 6 verse. This Ezra went up to Babylon, went up from Babylon. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted him all that he asked. Why? 
for the hand of the Lord was with him or was on him. Mm. Look at verse 9. For on the first day of the month, he began to go up from Babylon. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem. Why? For the good hand of God, of his God, not just somebody else's God, but his God was on him. Go to chapter 8, verse 18. Chapter 8, verse 18. It says, and by the good hand, and by the good hand of our God on us. And by the good hand of God on us. Verse 22. It says, For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers or horsemen to protect us from the enemy on our way since we had told the king, The hand of our God is for good on all who seek him, and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. Verse 31. Then we departed from the river Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. The hand of our God was where? On us. This is important, family. This is important. In other words, the, 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 the hand of God being on his people is based on us submitting to his edicts. See, you've got to understand what's going on in Ezra. See, like, 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 like God wanted them after the um, Babylonian and Persian captivity to return to Jerusalem. God's hand was on them to go into Babylon and to be in Persia. But God made a command, I'm sending you back to the promised land. So he takes his hand off of them remaining in Persia and Babylon and puts his hand on them for going back to Jerusalem. A load of people got so comfortable and began enjoying Persia and how they had set things up and how comfortable they had gotten. How they got their flat screen TVs on the wall. Now they got to putty the walls and, and, you know, paint over it because they can't sell the house. Like, like, no, God says, my hand is off that. My hand is on this. Ezra and a few cats, Zerubbabel and a few cats, all of these, they said, look, we're going to go back to the promised land. And the Bible says that they went through a lot of frustration, and they, they, but they sensed the fact that God was with them. In other words, when God is with you, family, obstacles, hell and high water, enemies, sickness, frustration. Listen, nothing can't get in your way because his hand is on you. See, when God's hand is on you, he'll make stuff happen that seems impossible to others. You'll make backwards. You'll be like, why would you make a decision like that? I don't know. His hand is on me for it. I, I, I don't know why. I don't know why I would want to make a silly decision like this in the culture's eyes. All I know that every time I move forward, he meets me. Every time I step out and there's a gutter in front of me, he lays out his cape so I can walk. Listen, when God's hand is on you, there is nothing. In, I don't care how depressed you are. I don't care how frustrated you are. I don't care how scared you are. But when God's, oh, when his eternal hand is up 
on your life and he's moving stuff out of the way, putting stuff in the way, making a way out of no way, making provision happen for you. When God's hand is on your life, I don't care who disagrees with you. I don't care who gets frustrated with you. When God's hand is on your life, you better go. You better go. You better go. Now, I'm not talking about you made it up. Like, God's hand is on me and ain't nothing happening. His hand ain't on you, fam. But God, when his hand is on you, listen, nothing can get in your way. No one can get in your way. And, and you, will, you will doubt it in the process. You will, and, 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 and that's what usually happens. You'll doubt it in the process. And then all of a sudden you're like, God, I, I think the hand just ended. And you'll begin to turn and God will bring something to encourage you to keep going. Uh. And so I hope. See, 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 a part of this process of being on mission with God is continued tests to see whether you trust his heart even when you don't see his hand. But the question is, you got to redecide how and reconfigure your view of how his hand looks. Because many of us have a false view of his hand. And that's why we can't engage with his heart. Hold on, let me, let me jump in. He having all the fun. When <laughs> God! Speaking of, I tried that out. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Listen, um, one of the things that... <laughs> One of the things that we're not ashamed of, um, one of the things that we're not ashamed of is what we call the paradoxes Mm -hmm. of the faith. Mm -hmm. A paradox is when two things that are true seem to contradict themselves. um, Because everything he just said is Bible, so it's true. But how many times have we, you know, again, felt the resistance or felt something come against us? And it does look like I did think God's hand was on me and I did think he told me to do this and nothing worked out. I'm telling you, I went back and then stuff started working out. So God wasn't telling me to do what I thought he told me to do. And uh, uh, turn with me real quick to Mark. I just like the way. Again, the paradox is that there's an equal true statement. Now, what we have to do is we have to um, we have to allow the point of the passage and not the particulars of the passage to speak to us. But Mark chapter six, forty five is a classic tale of the Lord Jesus walking on water, uh, because as you run hard with what um, that as you just got fired up off of the exhortation of Scripture so passionately preached, um, once again, the paradox says that there will be, a, a, there can be a most intense resistance mm. for an undetermined period of time. Now, this passage, you Absolutely. have to extract the principle because this happened in a small amount of time. And But for many of us, there will be long seasons of what we're going to see in this passage. Look at verse 45. Uh, verse 45 of chapter 6 says, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat. And go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. 
And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, uh, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. But when he saw them walking, excuse me, when they saw him walking on the sea, they, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. Uh, I just want to just tack on uh, equally true reality that many of you will face and may face or may be facing. Right. And that is oh, like the word of Jesus not only sends us forward, as it says, he, he commanded them to go ahead of them, but often you'll have to walk with like when you don't sense the hand of God that you know is on you is on you. Yeah, yeah. And that's the key because the text gives us a, a scenario of them knowing Jesus is for them, but he's not actually with them on the boat. Now he's with them going where they're going. He sent them there and he plans on being there and guaranteeing that they get there, but there comes a moment where they don't sense his presence like that. And it says here that uh, he's he's praying. Now he's on at sea. I mean, on land, praying while they're struggling at, till the fourth watch of the night. Now, the fourth watch of the night is so thick. We're talking about like three in the morning. And so, I mean, I don't know what time he dismissed the crowd and said, y'all go to the other side. But it's now like four in the morning, three in the morning, and they're sitting here rowing, and they're sitting here struggling on sea. Now, the funny thing is... You told us to go here. How come you can you control the winds and the waves? How can you send us on a clear sailing night so we could have got to the other side and been chilling waiting for you? You over there praying. You could have just been praying that this storm would cease, but you didn't. And didn't, did you? And so now he looks and he says, it says here. So he starts walking on water and it says that he meant to pass them by. Now they're still struggling and he meant to just keep walking while they're still struggling. You got Jesus walking on water. Tell me how's it going, fellas? He's just sitting there. Shh, 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 shh. And now these are the winds and the waves tossing a boat and making a boat unable to get to the other side. And he's just walking. See, this, all we're talking about is the God that's with you, too, right? We are talking about the God whose hand is with you. And so he's walking, and, and they get afraid. And he says, don't, don't, don't be afraid. And it says he got onto the boat, and the wind ceased. Uh, and they were astounded. Uh, our point here is, in addition to that, uh, that sometimes it will look ugly. Uh, and it'll look like God doesn't care. It'll look like God is allowing you to keep going when he could just make it easy. You're obeying him. So we just want to encourage that by God's grace, um, for you all to continue to press forward and not think that God is unconcerned with the difficulty of obedience that comes with obedience. And don't rethink that he told you to go to the other side. You know, a lot of times you know what he said. You know it. And good circumstances make you a minute. Bad circumstances make you rethink it. Mm-hmm. Do not. If, if, if theologically you have a ground to stand on, yeah, yeah. you, like God, like God, I will press forward and endure the winds and the waves until you get on and you come in and you bring the storm to a close. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. let's just keep that in mind yeah, as well. Yeah. Now, all of this is going somewhere, so stay with us. Acts 4.33. Let's go to the New Testament biblical theology of signs of grace. <clears throat> 4.33, and it says, 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, boom, Acts. One, two, three, boom, four. <laughs> I got to jump in where I can. <laughs> it says in verse 33, he says, it says, and Luke tells us, and with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. 1121. 1121. Says, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number of them believed and turned to the Lord. Verse 23, it says, when, when, he had, when, when he came and saw the grace of God. Wow. And saw the grace of God. Keep your finger there, but go over to 1343. 1343. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many of the Jews and devout, uh, devout converts to Judaism, follow Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. Uh, 1426. It says, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God. 1540. 1540. It says, but Paul, those uh, chose Silas, and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. 2032. 20, 20, it says, And now I commend you to the God and to the word of his grace. When you see in the New Testament the reality, the same it's the same deal of the hand of the of God being upon them now it's called the hand of grace or grace was upon them or being commended to grace you know these signs of grace um showed themselves up in a multitude of ways and one of the things that you see in in, in different ones of these passages is it always has to do with church planting every passage you look at it it's they're not doing uh, they're not they, Church planning. These are the reasons why, like, we want to join God. Let me, let, me just, let me just say this, the flavor, the favor principle. We join God, he doesn't join us. We may need to make, make that the beginning of a creed, new creed statement. We join God, he doesn't join us. Get that, like, a lot of us are trying to configure our lives after our own will. And you're bitter and angry with God because he hasn't met you. But that's because where you're going, he's not in the vicinity gracing you there. <laughs> he ain't gracing you there, family. And so what's been crazy about what God has done with Epiphany Fellowship, and, and, and we wanted to announce this, like, that the grace of God is upon us. Like, we've joined him, and he's met us in us joining him, not praying for him to do something that he's not working in. 
which is of massive, massive importance. They have a, a litany of applications for our life, but this is very important for communities because if you notice, this wasn't individual grace. It was community grace. <laughs> Let me say that again. See, most of us want grace for us individually, but we don't want a grace for us. So most people want grace to do their own thing. But God doesn't give us grace to do our own thing outside of the sphere of the gospel because that's the grace that, that caused grace to continue was through the gospel. But now communities of faith, it says, and they commended them, not him, but them to God's grace. So communities of faith are being commended. This is important to God's grace. And we were commended by a multitude of churches, over 10 churches to the, God, the grace of God. Over 10 churches said, we commend you because we've affirmed that what God is doing among you all as a crew is actually something God would do and, and, and that he's with you all and you all meet the qualifications of those who have been graced by God because of God qualifying you and sending you into the world to do the work of church planting. And so over and over and over and over and over and over again, we're going to be emphasizing these realities. But not only that, he doesn't just, we don't just join God and he doesn't, like, we join God, he doesn't join us. He was at work prior to our presence. See, many of us think when we got on the scene, we pop our little collars and think God ain't start till we got there. The party don't start till I get there. Party, some of y'all are used to that, you know, how y'all used to be. Like the kingdom don't work like that. God starts the work. So he was at work, working for, like, many of you all's lives, God was, and prior to bringing you into community here, God was setting you up. He was alley-ooping you for this community. He's just loud the ball up like that. And when you, when you took the call, you slam, pow, slam dunk that thing. And going, ah, when you hit the ground. You know what I'm saying? Why? Because God loved the ball of his grace up for you to catch it. Like, like you'd have hit your head on the rim if he didn't toss that ball up. But listen, God's grace is upon us, y'all. Now, the question on the floor is not just getting hyped about the fact that God's grace is upon us. The question is, what are we going to do with it? So you can get real excited. Oh, God, with us. You know, people talking about us all over the place. Like, that don't mean nothing. But the question is, will we continue in that grace? That means announcing that it's his work and not ours. And that we will announce, ask God to help us to remain humble. In other words, you want self-imposed humility, not God-imposed humility. That's why the Bible says, humble yourself. Because you don't want the God who opposes the proud to set up his opposal booby traps. Because they're more embarrassing. So we might want to start first. You know what I'm saying? So, and so, so humbling ourselves about that reality. But then also, um, God increasing the number of new believers. I've been amazed by how much of the percentage of Epiphany Fellowship is new believers. Many of you have just believed in Christ within the last two or three years. 
You're brand spanking new, wet behind the ears, Similac drinking new believers. But that's how a church plants biblically. Not just through church plant, church growth. In other words, let's make our band sound louder so that this church's people will leave and come over here. That's not what church planting is about. And God's grace is upon us for what it's upon us for. But then not only that, God increases the number of disciples. You see here, the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. The number of men came to about 5,000. Um, 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 right after that, right after that, it says multitudes, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number. The, um, the disciples are increasing in number. Number, uh, the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. And consider, considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. A large number of people believed, increasing in number daily. Many of them believed. So, so what we see here, what we see here is that numerical growth is only good if God is causing the growth and if the growth goes deep. So that means that the number of people coming must not just increase, but the number of people who have apprenticed themselves to Jesus must increase. So that means disciples. That means you taking responsibility for the faith. That's very important. And whenever you become a disciple of Jesus Christ, you've automatically entered what it means to be a reproducer. So now you must be commended to the Lord's grace, not to just have a swagger about I'm blessed and highly favored. But to walk in the reality that God has an eternal purpose for you to be among the displayers of those who display his manifold wisdom to um, the unbelieving world and to the believing world and reminding ourselves of that reality. So in light of that, we, we're going through what's called seven seasons of church planning. We're gonna get, well, that's the vision part. Now we're going to get into the strategy part. And we're doing what's called the seven seasons of church planning. And so what we, what we see is biblically and strategically where God has taken us. Usually where, we, where churches um, get we're in what's called the mentoring season. The mentoring season. And so within that season, you have to work on five things. I mean, four things. People, processes, time, and goals. And so when we talk about the state of the church, this is where we are. We've just gone from season three to season uh, four, which we have one last thing to do, but we're preparing for that from season four, and that's developing gospel-centered communities in the region. But now we're in what's called the mentoring season. And this is very important. This is the reproductive season. Right now, we need to be reproducing. Uh, 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 and, and the people that are involved with that is, of course, pastor, coach, uh, elders, deacons, leaders, apprentice, intern, church members, intercessors. The, and so these are the people that are involved with that. The reason why we have Sunday morning prayer is because we need intercession continuously. Um, pastors or elders together. We, we, right now, we are in need of appointing new elders. We've taken a group of guys with us last week to begin the process of some of the guys who we're going to eventually, over the next two to three years, begin bringing before you. This is not just about me and Pastor Deuce. 
but we want to we believe in a plurality of elders, a community of qualified men who fit the qualifications, who are already practicing those things. We're going to bring them in front of you and ask you, what do you think? And if they are not above reproach, they will not be appointed. But our prayer is, is that God will grace us with that. And so you've you got to be praying for this. So we need deacons. In other words, deacons need to begin to take out of the hands of the elders things that will help them not to be tempted to not pray for you and not be preaching the word of God. Acts chapter 6. And so we need deacons, serving leaders who take different areas of the ministry out of the hands of the elders. And then, of course, confirming church membership. In other words, who's with you and who's not? Now, people are, people are welcome to come, but now we got to, based on this common philosophy of ministry that comes out of the Bible, now, who's going to actually be a part of that, what they call lay leadership, even though the New Testament teaches priesthood, a comprehensive priesthood, not lay leaders, but everybody's a minister, and so laying that reality out. Now, the process. Now, what's the process going to look like for us, okay? Developing, develop mentoring leadership philosophy and strategy. So what we're going to be doing, we already kind of started that. We didn't really know. We kind of looked up in leadership one day, leadership meeting, and we saw, dang, man, we're in another season of church planning. So our first Tuesdays is where we're doing this already. Um, 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 developing, develop mentoring processes for healthy disciples. That's already being, like, this is crazy. That's where you know the grace of God is among you, right? People began making disciples of people without a program. Like, for instance, I'm up preaching on Sunday. I get down, and I'm looking around, and I turn around. And I say, I say, why are they clustered up together? And I look at Greg, and Greg is over there head bowed with about five dudes praying. I'm like, oh, somebody going through something. Then I ask him, I said, yo, is everything all right? He says, nah, man, I'm taking a group of guys under my wing based on the discipling that I've gotten. Now I'm going to begin discipling others. Now, I didn't like like, I didn't say, well, here's the discipleship program, and here's the curriculum that you use. But when you know the grace of God is upon a community of people, they spontaneously, you got Tia grabbing groups. You got uh, Erica grabbing groups. You got Missy. You got different people. You got Pastor Dude. You got people beginning without a program saying, I'm going to take people under my wing and begin to lace them with the kingdom nutrients that I've been laced with so they can be ushered from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. That's how God keeps score, family. And so, and so not only that, but then develop mentoring process for group and ministry leaders, which we've done. Develop mentoring process for elders. We're doing that now. Developing mentor process for movement leaders. We'll talk about that later, uh, later on down the line. Two years and ongoing. So right now, it usually takes two years to get this done. So it should have taken us three to four years to get to this point, but we've gotten there in one year and a half. God has graced us to get there. That means God's grace is upon us. And listen, when God primes the pump with a community, that means like Spider-Man's uncle told him, who, uh, you know what I'm saying? He said, whoever got great power comes what? Great responsibility. But listen, that ain't nothing new. Because the Bible says to whom much is given, much is required. They're acting like that's something new indeed. Jesus was saying that for centuries. So listen. You need to feel the weight as a community. You need, to feel, you need to feel that God is setting us up 
to be a community of movement leaders, to be a church planting church. We want to see Latinos in Philly impacted. It is a multitude of Latinos in Philly. But it's like churches, y'all are some foolish people, y'all. Y'all are some foolish people. But we want to, like, there are multitudes and multitudes. Like, and we want to see who's planting churches among them and engaging them with the gospel. Like, this is why we, we're not here to, 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 to finagle around, y'all. And so the grace is upon us for this reality. And so we're looking to see, see that happen. So this is our strategy and method for making sure that that happens. This is how we're going to flesh it out. From the concert to the classroom to the corner. Like some people got bases and all of that. This is how God, we, we kind of see biblically how God is going to develop these processes for us to go through these processes. All right? And these are going to cross-pollinate, so to speak. Y'all still with me? In other words, it's not just...